This morning we find ourselves in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 1 through 39. The message today is called Cold Conformity and Warm Compassion. Cold Conformity and Warm Compassion. Last time we looked at a kind of a picture of what this church age is like. If you remember, there would be persecution. Uh, We saw that in the persecution of John the Baptist. And there would be God's provision. We saw that in the feeding of the 5,000. And God would also protect and sustain us during this time. And that's kind of where we were at last time is, you know, overall the opposition to Jesus is growing. We know a few messages ago, he started sort of speaking in parables. He's kind of just building up those that are really interested at this point and those that are rejecting him. He's kind of distancing himself from in a way. In this passage, though, he, it starts out with a run-in from those that are rejecting him, right? And so that's where the cold conformity comes from, right? We're going to see in this message, it's a message of contrast. Sometimes we can learn by contrasts, right? By putting two things next to each other, uh, and, and we kind of learn uh, just from uh, what do they call that juxtaposition? You put the two things together and, you, and, and you, know, you can make some observations. So the cold conformity of legalists and the warm compassion of Christ. This message today is going to give you a heart check, right? It's given me a heart check all week. So I, I assume if you're listening, it's going to give you a heart check. And it's also going to encourage you to draw near to Jesus, drawn by his compassionate care for us. Because God is compassionate, because he's our loving father, our worship to him ought to be from the heart. It's the outline today is very simple. You see it's just in two parts, um, the cold conformity and the warm compassion. Beginning at verse one, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, these scribes and Pharisees are coming from Jerusalem. Notice how it says there in verse 1. This means that these scribes and Pharisees are the heavy hitters. This is where the, uh, the heavy hitter of the religious you know, authorities were located. So they're coming from Jerusalem. They're coming to Gennesaret where Jesus and his disciples are. They make this large trek and they come there to confront Jesus. Now that's significant. It tells you at this point, the scope of Jesus' ministry, the range of Jesus' ministry. He's really becoming popular and he's such a threat to the religious system that he is now drawing the attention of the higher ups of Judaism. Now, it's probably a good thing to go check people out, check out their doctrine, see what they're doing. That's commendable that they're doing this. But they're questioning him about something that is really kind of ridiculous, and we're going to find out why. But before we go further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word here today. Lord, we turn to you. You're the God of the word, and we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we're the sheep of your pasture, as the word says. And Heavenly Father, we need you to speak to us. We need to learn from you. We need to take your yoke upon us, for it is easy. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. And we pray, make the book live to us. Show us who we are. Show us our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, these uh, 
Jews, these Pharisees from Jerusalem, they come and they question Jesus according, you know, by the, the, the tradition of the elders. Notice that in verse 2. Why do your disciples transgress? That means they, they break the tradition of the elders. Now, that's um, what they're coming and, and hassling Jesus and his disciples about. And then <clears throat> what these are, what the tradition of the elders would mean at this time, these are rules and traditions of the Jewish authorities handed down over time. These are not commands written in the law of Moses. This is not biblical stuff. These are traditions from, uh, you know, from the elders of the Jews, years after years, generation after generation, handing down traditions. Now, what these traditions were, what these rules and ordinances were, these Jews looked at them as like fences, right? Now, if I want to keep the law of God, and I'm so zealous about keeping the law of Moses, I want to keep the Ten Commandments, I want to do everything the Bible says, I could put fences around these commands that would keep me from even coming close to breaking these commands. You understand? Like, say that I don't want to eat anymore at 12 o'clock at night and uh, woof down a pizza before I go to bed. I could just make a fence that says Adam doesn't go in the kitchen after 8 p.m., right? See, there's a fence then that's keeping me from... Uh, you know, you know, gluttony or whatever. So they had thousands of these fences, of these rules, that it was their intention to keep them from even coming close to breaking the commandments of God. For instance, the Sabbath. The Bible says, don't work on the Sabbath. That's all God says about it. Don't work. So they made literally hundreds and hundreds of rules of what constitutes work. So nobody would be unclear, you know, and about what work is, because we don't want to break the commandment. Now, here's the thing, though, is all of these commands, these fences that they came up with, these are things that were come up with by man, not biblical. Were they helpful? Maybe for some people, right? Tradition can be helpful for some people. It can. Lent can be an incredibly helpful thing for some people, but it can also be a completely mindless thing where people think that they're appeasing God by eating a fish fillet for a week rather than, you know, gorging themselves on steak, right? And it can be a mindless, rote, religious activity. Could be. Depends on what's going on in your heart, right? So tradition can be helpful. It could be bad. In this case, these Pharisees what they have done at this point is they've taken their man-made traditions and they've put them on par with Scripture. They're saying, these are just, our rules are just as inspired as Scripture. If you're breaking our traditions, you're sinning against God. Now, none of these had been codified at this time. It was a growing list. So do the math on that. It must have been really nice to hang out with these guys. They're constantly adding to this thing or whatever. After 70 AD, these things were codified, and they later on became what's called the Mishnah, okay? Now, <clears throat> the tradition that they're going to confront, that they confront Jesus over, is this tradition about washing their hands. Now, they're not talking about hygiene here. They're not saying, oh, Jesus, your disciples are gross. They don't wash their hands before they eat, you know? For the most part, that's not going to get you sick if you do that or anything like that, or, you know, unless you pet a cat, you might get worms or something like that in certain cases. Uh, but, uh, you know, I put them in your mouth. You know. What this is dealing with is a traditional ceremonial sort of cleansing that the Jews 
uh, were uh, you know, called to adhere to by these Pharisees. Mark, in his gospel, he writes to a non-Jewish audience. By the way, if you're reading the gospel of Matthew and some of these things don't make sense because they're rooted in Judaism, if you read the gospel of Mark, the same sort of account, Mark's writing to a Gentile audience primarily. So he kind of gives the explanation of these things in a way that Matthew doesn't. Let me give you an example. Mark 7, verses 3 through 4. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Okay, so the Jews had special ceremonial ways of washing everything and washing their hands and washing all their utensils and all this different stuff. Now, what you were to do was you were to use, this is what it says in their writings, you were to use a, a quarter of a log of water to wash the hands and the wrists. What's a quarter of a log, right? Well, it's about the equivalent of one and a half eggshells filled with water. And so you were supposed to use this amount of water to wash the hands and the wrists, right? Now, the small amount of water tells you it's not about hygiene, right? It tells you it's a ceremony, right? Now, where do they get this from? Right? Does anybody have any idea where they got this from? Well, back in the book of Exodus in chapter 30, it says that the priests, before they do their tabernacle service or their temple, later the temple service, before they do any of these sacrifices, they were to wash their hands and feet, right? And they were to go through this washing before they went into the tabernacle and before they uh, performed the sacrifices. So what the Jews had done was they took the Pharisees, you know, being super zealous, they said, you know, why don't we just take that same regulation and just apply it to everybody? right? Why don't we just say every time that you're sitting down to eat, you might as well look at it as like you're sacrificing to Yahweh on the altar every single time. And so we need to wash before. And so we need to do this ceremony before, right? So you see the heart behind it? Somebody could just be super zealous and just say, wow, I, just, I think we should all do what the priests do. And, you know, and they're just applying, you know, and, and the problem is though, is they're questioning Jesus. Why do your disciples not keep these ceremonies? You know? And they have a problem with Jesus. They want to put Jesus to death because he's blaspheming, because he's working on the Sabbath, because he's doing all these other things in their view, according to their traditions, right? Why don't your disciples abide by the traditions of the elders? I, I think it's amazing that they don't come down from Jerusalem to come to Jesus and say, how is it that you're healing all these people and feeding 5,000 plus people? And how is it that you're teaching with authority and people are listening and people are getting delivered from demons, right? Uh, you know, how is that? They don't ask that. They say, how come your disciples don't do the ceremonial hand-washing, you know? Right? That's kind of like a denomination, you know, seeing a whole bunch of people get saved and saying, you know, I don't know about that. They don't have shoes on. They're hippies, you know, like happened during the Jesus movement. You know what I mean? Oh, well, don't they know that we wear shoes in this church? You know, uh, you know Chuck Smith, remember the story? Chuck Smith said, well, take out the carpet then if you have a problem with it, right? And uh, it's that sort of thing. You know, a girl wants to start going to church on a Sunday morning and she just gave up a life of living on the street the night before and she comes, but this church says you have to wear dresses that go down to the ankle. Well, why don't you come back next week when you've cleaned yourself up? You see, man's tradition getting elevated too high, right? These aren't biblical things. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible wear shoes in church. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, we're addressed under your ankles. It doesn't say that. Elevating our traditions too high. And that's what they did. Now, look what Jesus says. Uh, he comes back in verse three. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So, wow. They said, why don't your disciples keep man-made traditions? Jesus says, why do you break God's commandments? Now, 
You have to understand the Pharisees are like respected by the people because of their righteousness, their holiness, and their love for the scriptures, all this stuff. They are looked at as the religious professionals of the day. And Jesus says to them, why do you break God's commands? They would have been like, oh, you know, like people would have been like, oh boy, we got to get out of here. You know, uh, oh, um, verse four. For now he's going to give an example. See what he said there? Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? He's going to give an example now of how they break the commandments of God by their, trans, by their tradition. Okay, verse 4. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. This is pretty interesting. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark's account says this, but, if you, but you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you have received from me is Corbin. Guys, remember that word when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, it says Corbin in there? Guys, you've seen that before? It's referring to the same thing. Here in Matthew, in this passage where it says a gift to God, that's the Greek word that's translated to the Hebrew word Corbin in Mark's gospel. Here it's translated a gift to God. Let me explain this really quickly. You see, he goes to the fifth commandment, honor the father and mother, right? That's a fifth, the fifth commandment it says, do that. You guys are familiar with that. And then he also says, whoever curses father or mother, let him be put to death. Man, with the way the kids talk to parents today, wouldn't have done that in Judaism. Boy, they would stone you to death. <laughs> it was tough. To, they didn't have kids that, you know, kids didn't talk back then. You know, you'd literally get taken out in the public square and, you know, whoa. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that's crazy. <laughs> I don't want you to think for a second I'm advocating that. Today you're like, I'll take your tablet away from you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's going to get them. So these Jews had a way to finagle. And what they did, see, Corbin, there was this tradition that said, hey, if I want to donate something to the temple or give it to the Lord, that's Corbin. So I could essentially go through all my possessions and go, Corbin, Corbin. Could take money, Corbin. Now, what it meant to honor your mother and father in this day, it meant that if you were, you know, you needed to take care of them financially. That's what they expected. So here's the deal. Mom and dad come needing to be cared for. And they, and they come to your house and you say, oh, uh, yeah, all that money over there? Sorry, Corbin. <laughs> so what they were doing was they were using this tradition as a way to get out of taking care of their parents, finagling the commandments of God and looking very spiritual, might I say, by doing it. Oh, I can't really help you out with anything because I've given everything to God. Well, here's the whole loophole too, is that whatever thing that you said you've given to God remains in your possession, right? You know? It's kind of cheesy. So that's what he means there. And Jesus is saying, look, you've come up with these traditions and, you know, they actually, you know, cause you to, and, and the thing is, is, if you dedicated something as Corbin, they all held to it. Like you couldn't get out of that oath, right? You couldn't donate a whole bunch of money or whatever possessions to the temple. And then your parents come in there in need and you say, oh, I got to take that back. No, you couldn't do that, 
right? And that's what Jesus means here. He says, he gives that example. He says, the, the fifth commandment says this, but your tradition gives you a nice, clever way to get out of it, you know? And he said, you're calling my disciples out on not washing their hands like your elders say that they need to? Um, <laughs> you're breaking the actual commandments of God with your traditions, right? Now, Verse 7 through 9, Jesus condemns heartless, empty worship. He's going to call them out for their heartless, empty worship. Look at verse 7. Hypocrites. Man, that's a heavy term. <clears throat> person that wears a mask, person that pretends to be something that they're not, pretends to be something in front of people, acts like something different, different place. Well did Isaiah prophesy, of you, or prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus says here that their behavior is a fulfillment of Isaiah 29, 13. This is a prophecy in the Bible. Prophecy buffs, this is a prophecy. Isaiah prophesied and said these people were going to be uh, religious looking at Jesus' time. They were going to say the right things. They were going to do the right things. But their heart was going to be far from God. And the problem is, look at there, that they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. So the man-made traditions were being taught as scriptural doctrine, right? These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Now, this is a tragic state that somebody's in. They sing the songs, but their heart's not in it. They come and they mouth the words. They look at the screen. They see the songs. They mouth the stuff, but their heart's not in it. Jesus says that's, they're hypocrites, people that do that. I'm pretending. Hey, look it. I'm at church. These are people that go to church, but they don't want to be there. For whatever reason, they go there. These are people that do spiritual-looking things, talk in a spiritual way, but their heart is far from God. There is a way to go about Christianity where it's just lip service. Just the same way they were going about Judaism, you can go about Christianity the same way. You can think that you're right with God just because of the keeping of rules and ordinances. Well, because I do these things, I'm right with God and that's it. And I can keep rules and ordinances without my heart ever even being engaged in it. Has anybody ever had a job that they really hate? Can you keep the rules and ordinances while your heart's not into it? Is that possible? Can you go punch a clock, do some things at work where, you know, I really could care less about what's going on here. I'm, I'm on my way out. I need a new job. I'm checked out. I don't even like it. Can you do things with your body, although your heart's not engaged in it? Is that possible? Jesus is saying that's a real big problem when it comes to worshiping God. Real big problem. I don't want you to think that God's, you know, oh, you better get your heart into it. You can't do that. You know, if you don't love Jesus, you just don't know Jesus. That's, that's it. I can't tell you, you need to love Jesus. I can't do that. What I can do is week after week after week, hold him up in front of you until you see how lovely and wonderful he is and pray that his spirit shows you how wonderful he is. You say, I want to love God. You have to know God. I want to love my wife. I need to study my wife. I need to learn more about her. I need to, I need to be a husband that is concerned about learning about my wife if I want to love my wife, 
right? And if I want to love my Lord, I need to be concerned about, you know, knowing him. These people, they said the right things, but their heart was far from God. This is a huge reality check. I told you this is going to be a heart check this morning. Now, when you go about, well, just your Christianity, your walk with God, man, is your heart in it? The problem is here is they were, you know, one of them, look at it, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, I want to say cults do this, right? Cults do this today. They teach as doctrines the commandments of men. They say, oh, God, you know, Jim Jones, right? God spoke to me and you need to do this, you know? Cults do this. Uh, some denominations do this. Some denominations say the only way that you can be baptized, it has to be done in our church the way that it is. And that's, you're, you're making stuff up. And you're saying that you're not saved unless you're baptized? That's teaching, at, that's not teaching biblical doctrine. If you say you have to be baptized, uh, and there's certain denominations that say you're not saved unless you're baptized, right? That's not a Christian doctrine. You're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Listen, uh, you know, I know some of you grew up in the Catholic Church. This is what the Catholic Church did, is they said our church traditions are on par with Scripture. And they still hold to that. To this day, the Pope is infallible. He can say whatever he wants. In the church tradition, you need faith in Jesus plus all the church traditions if you're a Catholic. And they've taken their traditions and they've elevated them to the doctrines of men. Listen, you need to be sure about who you're listening to, what you're taking in, what kind of teachers you listen to. There's podcasts everywhere these days, YouTube videos all the time. You need to be certain that they are teaching the Bible and not the doctrines of men, right? Right? Now, Jesus teaches about legalism, verses 10 through 11. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said, hear and understand. It's always a good place to listen, right? When Jesus says that, you know, he wants us to get what's in this next thing, right? Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles him, Okay? Not what goes into the mouth of man that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. Now, this is, this is a huge principle when it comes to religion, Christianity, all this. And we'll talk about the overarching principle in a second. What he's saying right here to them is he's saying, these Pharisees, they're obsessing so much about the hand washing and this cleansing of the outside. The real problem is the inside's dirty. And all the hand washing in the world isn't going to fix what's going on in your heart, okay? All the religion in the world doing things isn't going to change your heart. It's not going to. You can split people in churches into two categories today. People that are going there trying to change themselves or trying to earn a place into heaven or trying to do something like that or people that are doing that because their heart has been changed. I'm in church because my heart has been changed is a heck of a lot different than I'm going to go to church hoping that I'm going to make it there someday. Whole different motive. One's on the way to hell, one's on the way to heaven, right? Very simple principle Jesus says here. He says it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Now, here's why. What's going on in your heart comes out of your mouth, right? 
you go into a coffee shop, you're sitting there trying to study, you didn't bring your earbuds, you can hear people next to your conversation, you're trying not to listen, they sit down, for five minutes it's pleasantries, oh, how's Sue, she's doing really well, oh, how did the doctor's appointment go, oh, it's really nice, I just am so glad that connected you so finally, did you hear about that rotten person the other day that did this, what happened? You ran out of pleasantries and now all of a sudden the gossip, you know, and all this, the hatred, the evil speak about people, the perversion. Oh, did you see that she got plastic surgery? Oh my God. The stuff like that starts to come out, you know, or the guy's like, well, you know, boasting about their, you know, or whatever it is. You sit there and you listen to people for long enough and you start to hear what's really going on in their heart. What do they talk about? What you talk about the most says exactly what's going on in your heart. That's it. It's typically the conversation that you have with the people that are closest to you. Yeah, not always. Your conversation about other people? <laughs> There's only one other person that you should have a conversation about. Guess who? Jesus, right. You know for sure you're not gossiping if you're talking about Jesus, right? Did you hear what Jesus did? Here's the principle, okay? Got to get this. Jesus said, listen and understand, right? We got to get this. It's not the things that come into the body that defile us, right? People want to argue for years and years, is it nature or nurture? Is it nature or nurture, right? The psychology, psychiatry debate. Is it nature or nurture? People are bad because of their surroundings. We need to ban video games because video games made these people go into the church and the school and shoot people. We need to ban video games. Is it nature or nurture? It's not the things that come into the body that defile. It's the things that are in the heart. The heart's already defiled, you see. Now, that's not to say for a second that the influence of, you know, filthy entertainment, violent video games, all this other stuff, it's not to say that pornography and all these things don't have a corrupting effect on you. Gossip, you know, watching The Guiding Light or whatever that show. The Guiding Light? What a name. I'm going to, it's guiding me. Oh, it's guiding you into sin. It's not to say those things don't have a defiling and corrupting effect on you. They do. You put these images in your mind. You put, you know, I've got a problem with anger. Do you watch violent television? Yeah. Well, stop watching violent television and see what starts to happen. You know, maybe you won't be like stimulated by it all the time. I mean, uh, your brain's like a computer. You program junk code into a computer. It operates like junk. You program good, clean code into a computer. It operates correctly, to, you know. Simple, come on, common sense. But the overarching principle is that you think about that. Where did pornography come from, though? Where did violent television, where did all this stuff come from? It comes out of the hearts of man, right? It didn't just fall out of the sky. Oh, wow, there's a porno DVD. Whoa. Came out of the hearts of wicked people. So what Jesus is doing is getting to the root of all of this. He's saying, you know what? What the problem is, is the heart is sick and evil. The, the human heart is sick and evil, right? That's the problem. Now, all these little outside rituals, you can wash your hands till you're blue in the face. I don't think that would ever happen. But it's not gonna, it doesn't touch the heart. He's going to elaborate on this more in a minute, so I'll save more for then. Verse 12 through 14, now he warns the judgment of the judgment to come for those that are not rooted truly in Christ. Verse 12, then his disciples came and said to him, "Uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And? (laughs) But he answered and said, 
Each plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. And then some of the best advice in the Bible. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. That's good advice right there. Leave them alone. People that are bent on legalism, people that are bent on tradition and they won't give it up, they, they keep their traditions as, up on the same par with Scripture, leave them alone. They don't get it and they're going to put their legalistic trip all over you. Let them alone. God's going to judge them. They're under God's judgment like that. He's going to root them out. All they're doing is, you know, the, the roots are drawing the nutrients out. Eventually God's going to deal with them. That's good advice. I'm not saying don't try to witness to legalists, but if you find that they're like committed to it, this could be, could be good advice for somebody here today. Blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a ditch. This makes me think about how kids today listen to influencers on YouTube and stuff like that, and how much of the blind leading the blind there is. You know what I mean? Uh, it's just, there's so many people that are going into the ditch because they're being led by people that don't have any, you know, uh, they're not going anywhere. They're, they're, it's coming out of their own hearts and their own imaginations, and they're telling people what they think. I think of when I think of psychiatry, when I think of psychology, by and large, these industries are dominated by the thoughts of godless, godless atheists. You know, Freud, Skinner, Erickson, these people don't have a, a, a Christian framework, so there's no way that they're going to lead people to the cross. No way. It's not in their thinking. These are blind leading the blind. It's not saying they don't have some good tips for, you know, how to maybe feel better in this life. Maybe so. I'm not downplaying it totally. But I'm saying you have to understand that they're not leading you to the cross. Joe Rogan's not leading you to the cross. Okay? Ben Shapiro's not leading you to the cross. Politicians, as much as you might like them, they're not leading you to the cross. When the blind lead the blind... Both fall into the ditch. Guess who follows the blind? The blind. Good prayer. Lord, am I blind? Fair, open my eyes. Fifteen through twenty. Now Jesus is going to elaborate more on this uh, concept that he wants us to understand. Then Peter answered and said to him, "Explain this parable to us." I think Peter had a lot of problem with this because when Jesus said, "It's not what goes into the man that defiles him," he thus declared all foods clean. And that's a huge thing for the Jews, right? And Peter got a vision of this later on in the book of Acts. You guys remember he's at Cornelius' house and so on, or about Cornelius, going to Cornelius. So Peter's having a hard time with it. It's not hard to understand. It's that Peter's having a hard time with it, I think, because he's just so steeped in tradition and Judaism that it's, it's hard for God to get through to people that are so steeped in tradition, right? So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not understand that whatever, and he's going to break it down, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated. Okay, that's a simple one, right? You eat food, goes through the body, body holds on to what's valuable, gets rid of what's not valuable. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. 
the Pharisees' problem is they don't need more tradition. They need their heart cleansed by the Spirit of God. They need to be born again. These people need to be born again. They don't need more religion. They don't need more things to do. They don't need 10 steps in a self-help manual of how to have every day is like a Friday. They don't need that stuff. They need the transforming power of Jesus Christ to transform them from death to life. That's what they need. Verse 19, for out of the heart, and then he gives a list. That's, this is where these things come from. Evil thoughts. You ever, you ever go down your life and you say, I, I've been walking with the Lord a while. Why do I get all these evil thoughts? Hey, it's in your heart. Have you read Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9? This, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Right? Why is my heart so wicked? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. Keep reading on. And desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah says. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I know, Jeremiah said that. He said, who can know it? Remember? Why are you surprised that there's evil in your heart? The Bible says, I'm, you're evil. <laughs> what? What's the confusion about that? No, 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 you're a superstar. This is confusing. This is confusing to people. So do I walk around all the time beating myself up because I'm evil? No. I walk around with my shoulders up and my head lifted high because I'm a child of God that he condescended to save me even though I'm that wicked and evil. Right? So I don't go around with this false humility. Oh, I'm so terrible. I'm, so t I'm Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, please. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, boy. I don't do that. I walk around saying I'm a child of the king. The Lord bought me with his blood. He loves me. He's given me purpose. He's given me meaning. My life means something. I'm filled with optimism and hope. I'm supposed to be here or he would take me out of here. I walk around with that kind of confidence. But don't think for a second. I don't realize that when I say a harsh word to my wife, it's because there's evil in my heart. I get that. And that's when I say, God, I need you to cleanse my heart. It's wicked and evil. And that's a lot of my prayer life, friends, is like that. It starts out like that every time, guaranteed. Oh, Lord, here I am to talk to you again. But first I need to confess this whole bunch of evil. There's, a, there's sickness in my heart, Lord. Good news. I will take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh is what the new covenant is. So God, he comes into your life. He puts a new heart in you. He gives you new desires. He gives you new ambitions. He gives you a love for his word. It's a sign you're saved. You love his word. He gives you a love for his people. He changes your life from the inside out. You say, well, I still have evil in me. I know you and the apostle Paul both. Remember? Man, the things I want to do, I don't do those things, but I end up doing the things I don't want to do. That's the life of the Christian. Okay? Before I just used to do wicked and evil, who cares? Unless I got caught, then I cared. Unless consequences hurt me, then I cared. But now I've got this voice inside of me that keeps saying, you got to do the right thing. you got to do what, what Jesus would do. Be like Jesus. Holiness is good. Purity is good. Live like this. And that voice is going at the same time your, your flesh is going, no, 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 man. Be selfish. Be selfish. It's all about you. Right? And both of those voices go on the same time. Then I turn on TV and it says, it's all about you, man. Then I go to the psychiatrist and they say, it's all about you. You need to have a you day. 
I need to have a Jesus day. You need to stop telling me to worship myself. And that's what this world is trying to do. It's corrupt. It's trying to tap into that corruption that already exists in your heart. Advertisers know how to do it. People that are producing movies and media, they know how to do it. They know how to tap into the evil that's in your heart. They're trying to, they're trying to lead you down that path. The heart is wickedly sick, and because you receive a new heart, it doesn't mean that your old fleshy body isn't trained by evil. It is trained by evil, and you habitually do evil still. But listen, you have a new heart put inside of you. God put that in there. You're a new creation, and you're living in this battle now. Here's the large principle, okay? The Pharisees obsess over externals, but the issue is the heart. I've met people like that in my day that obsess over religion. Oh, well, did, was she in church? Was she this? Oh my gosh, did she? I can't believe she dresses like that. Or, you know, or some, some, you know, something thing like that, you know? Always looking at the externals of everything. But sitting down and gossiping. Sitting down and speaking evil of people, you know? But living selfishly and all these things, you know? They obsess over the externals, but the issue is the heart. I was watching Hotel Impossible last night. Anybody ever seen that show? I love that show. Anthony Melchiori, this short little dude from, he's Italian from New York City. And they, they send him into all these hotels that are like failing. And he goes in and rehabs them. I love rehab sort of shows. Something's going wrong. Send in the guy and he rehabs the place. And he goes in and kicks butt, man. And he finds all these people are lazy and there's problems. And people are stealing, whatever else. And he goes in and he just sets them on a path, straightens them out. While he was working on this hotel last night, before he had the internal workings done, because the, the general manager was a schlep, right? It's like, eh, who knows if he's going to change. Like, he ran the place in the ground. He's lazy, whatever. But they put a new sign on the, on, the, on the hotel. And Anthony said, plain as day, he goes, you know, you could put a new sign on the thing. But I'm not going to keep doing that. You can put a new sign on the thing. But he says, but if what's going on inside doesn't change, it doesn't matter. Be closed in a month. That's true. You can put a new sign on yourself. Oh, Christian. But listen, if God hasn't changed your heart because you've come to him and you've confessed your sin to him, you've said, look, Lord, I've broken your laws. I've broken. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. If you haven't come to him like that to receive grace, you've just put a new sign on yourself. That's it. You're worshiping God, but your heart's far from him. It looks like you're worshiping him, but like it said, your worship is in vain. It's useless. It's futile. There's no reason to go to church if you're, if you're not in it, if your heart's not in it. There's no reason. There's no reason to do any of this stuff unless you've come the one way. Lord, I'm convicted of my sin. I've broken your laws. That's where it starts. Jesus, every time he offered salvation, he said, what first? He said, what and then be baptized. What and then be baptized. He said, well, he's repent. Yeah, believe. That's involved in there. The first word of the gospel is repent. Always. Now, these Pharisees didn't have to repent. I don't have to repent. I do all these traditions. I keep all these things. I've checked all the boxes. God loves me. No, it doesn't work like that. You need Jesus to transform your heart from the inside out. The hands always follow the heart. Never the other way around. Number two. Hmm. We're going to stop there today. I don't want to, yeah, we can't go any further than that. So we'll continue this next week with the contrast. You got the first part of the contrast this week. There's too much for next time. We'll sing another song and then we'll be done. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word here and uh, the heart check that it brings. And Lord, 
I pray for anybody here today that has not allowed you to touch their heart. Maybe they thought this is just all about religion and appeasing you through our actions, and I don't know what it is, God, but I pray that your spirit would touch their heart here today. If anybody's here, Lord, that has not come to you through Jesus, through the blood of the Lamb, through his sacrifice, Lord, if there's somebody that just has a new sign on them, Heavenly Father, would you deal with that now? And that's my prayer, Lord, too, for myself, is, God, I don't, I don't want to become cold and calloused. I don't ever want to do the things that I do for you as some rote religious activity. I don't want to mouth these words with no heart behind them. I also don't want to be controlled by my feelings. I want to be controlled by your truth, Lord. You're worthy of praise. How good that you want a relationship with us, that you want so much of this world is satisfied with just the work of our hands, but you want the affection of our hearts. This is a big challenge to some of us, Lord. Some of us have never had a real relationship with anybody, let alone with you. We've always been wearing a mask. We've always been offering lip service and giving the work of our hands and never giving our heart. God, would you help? Help us, Lord, to be people that come to you from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen.